Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. It's been so busy for the past two weeks. I think it is actually coming up for two weeks since I last did a podcast episode. So I've got lots to talk about and a few more things than I usually do. So I'll try and get everything in to 30 minutes. And it starts off about two weeks ago. And I love stuff like this. It just kind of starting with the theme of any bike can do anything. Because I was chatting to someone online and they said that they just sold their, I think their Yamaha, Yamaha X-Max 250. That's the 250cc maxi scooter type bike. I think he was actually replying to an Insta story I did when I saw this big maxi scooter and I commented on how comfortable these bikes are. And you can take them anywhere. They're, they're pr- probably even more comfortable than motorbikes. They've got gigantic sofa-like seats. So someone kindly messaged me on Instagram. They said, I just sold my Yamaha X-Max 250 two weeks ago. And four days later, the new owner messaged me from the south of France. He'd ridden his maxi scooter all the way from England to the south of France. And it just took him four days from actually buying the bike, trusting the bike and getting it down to the south of France. I thought that was brilliant. Those types of bikes, I know they're often overlooked because they may not be the coolest, but maxi scooters are an amazing, amazing form of transport. And I've had, it's something I've never really considered before. How to, okay, you've got a bike that you really like the look of and you're considering it and it's on eBay or Auto Trader or somewhere like that where you look for bikes. And maybe you go and test ride it in the dealership, but you find that the bike isn't quite right for you. That may be that it's, for example, the seat height's a bit too high or low or it's just not comfortable or ergonomically in general, it just doesn't quite fit for you. And I had a chat with a BMW R9T owner and I said, it's a really nice bike, but it's just not quite as comfortable as the likes of the Bonneville. And that's because the seat's a little bit firm and the handlebars are slightly more aggressive. And I had two BMW R9T owners message me and they said, well, that doesn't matter because all you need to do, you get handlebar razors, a razor kit, and you just put a comfier seat on it. And I don't know why, but it's something that I've never properly considered. And it's a brilliant, simple idea. And I know it's not a new idea, but I've never really considered it because you can go out there, you can look for a motorbike that you love the look of, and it's so easy to modify. It's not like buying a car. With motorbikes, you know, you go out razor kits, I think they're only about 50 quid or something, and they make a huge difference. For example, with Triumph, I know that, well, Triumph sell razor kits, but of course, Motone, Tech Bike Parts, they also sell them. It's literally just a bit of metal that sits under your handlebars, and I think it probably raises it by about an inch or so. But you can choose any level of raising that you want. And on top of that, of course, you can buy different handlebars. You can get seats custom made. I've got a friend of mine who's getting a seat custom made for his Triumph Speed Triple. There are so many things that you can do, not just looks-wise for a bike, but things to make that bike more comfortable for you. I also know a few people, probably if you're under about 
maybe five foot six or something like that, who actually get a seat specially made that's lower than the original seat. Because sometimes you don't even need to change the suspension on your bike to lower it. You can just get a seat specially made, maybe take some padding out. And I know that makes a really massive difference because even with my Bonneville, if I have my thin bench seat on compared to when I take it off and put my king and queen seat on, I can tell a very, very noticeable difference in the bend of my leg. King and queen seat is noticeably higher. So I just thought I'd share that. It's probably fairly obvious, but there are a lot of riders out there who will specifically modify the kind of ergonomics. No, sorry, that's Monica there just working opposite me. She got a call. But they'll specifically modify the bike to suit their ergonomics or a, make a bike more ergonomically relevant for their riding style and it's just something I haven't considered but I will definitely start considering from now and I had a message from an Austrian biker and this is something that I've touched on a few times where do you buy a motorbike that's the best value for example do you go to the USA to buy a Harley Davidson? Is it worth it with the money that you save buying the Harley Davidson? And does that outweigh the fact that you have to pay for shipping to get back, for example, to Europe, and then you have to pay the 20% duties? Is it worth it? And I was chatting to an Austrian rider, and he said to me, look, I love the look of the Triumphs, but the Triumph Heritage Bikes they are really expensive in Austria and they hold the value incredibly well. He said to me at the time of messaging me, the cheapest flat bench seat Triumph Scrambler, flat bench seat Triumph Scrambler in Austria, second hand 2018 model is nine and a half thousand euros. And they were only 11 and a half thousand euros back in 2018. That is unbelievable how well they hold their value. That is incredible. So even now, even now when I was chatting to him, I found just straight off the bat, in fact, it's there now, straight off the bat, a flat seat. Let me get this up actually because I've got it on Auto Trader. Flat seat 2017 Triumph Street Scrambler. It's got that beautiful khaki green. 900cc water cooled, 7,000 miles. Have a listen to this. Probably most relevant to any Europeans because the, you won't need to pay for shipping costs. You can just ride it back. But 6,900, sorry, 6,695 pounds for 2017 Street Scrambler. And for me, probably the best color. The khaki green with the brown bench sheet from a dealer. This is from a proper Triumph dealer. So you're not go, having to go to someone's house and hope that they've told the truth on the bike and see if there are any kind of bits that don't match up to the description. This bike is from a Triumph dealer and it's got 7,000 miles and it's 6,695 pounds. You can probably push that down to 6,200 pounds or so. Triumph's a very, very good value in the UK. They hold their value well, but they really are very good value. So any Probably most relevantly, any Europeans looking for Triumph come over to the UK and you get a very, very significant saving if you're looking to buy one. If you can wait till the winter, I actually recommended to another European guy who was looking. I said, wait till the winter, come over, get onto autotrader.co.uk or eBay. They're probably the best places to look, but you can get an absolute bargain.
And here's something, not exactly motorcycle related, but this is something in the news, I think from about a week ago, that shocked me. There's a road in Montenegro currently being built by the Chinese for $1 billion. But that's not the super interesting bit. Have a listen to this. China could, and I'm reading here from the Daily Mail, that's a, a British paper. China could seize land from a tiny, uh, from tiny Montenegro for failing to repay $1 billion belt and road loan for a 270 mile road to nowhere, of which only a handful of miles were ever built. So basically, the China Road and Bridge Corporation, which is a state-owned company that's building the bridge with imported Chinese workers, has not yet finished constructing the first section of the 270-mile highway to the Serbian capital Belgrade. So the first installment on a $1 billion loan from China's state bank is due this month. So that is July 2021. But... But it's unclear whether Montenegro, whose debt has soared to more than double its GDP because of the project, will ever be able to pay it back. So Montenegro's debt is double its GDP. So a copy of the loan contract reviewed by, uh, by a, a governing body shows that if Montenegro, listen to this, if Montenegro misses the deadline payment, then Beijing has the right to seize land inside the country as long as it doesn't belong to the military or used for diplomatic purposes. So in theory, if Montenegro don't pay the first set of loan repayments, then in theory, in this contract, it looks like, just from what I'm reading, it looks like China can in theory seize some land in Montenegro. Wow, is that, is that possible? That's going to be really interesting. I'll be keeping a very close eye on that. The Harley-Davidson Livewire. Now, I was sent this by someone on Instagram very kindly. Otherwise, I would have had absolutely no idea about this. First things that I do know. Livewire and Harley are becoming two separate entities. So Livewire will become a brand in itself and it will lose or drop the Harley Davidson name from its bikes. And I've just seen one of the new Livewires and actually they don't even have the Harley Davidson badge anymore. It's a completely sta standalone brand, a bit like Buell was, which was kind of, well, I like them, but they're the, the ill-fated sports bike version or sportier version sportier arm of harley davidson they look cool they weren't around for that long but they never hit off so harley are going again and they split up here we go we've got live wire now i'm looking at the bike it looks absolutely identical to the harley davidson live wire except you now don't have the harley davidson badge it just says live wire but this is where it gets extremely interesting because where the Harley-Davidson Livewire was about £29,000. It's just way too much, really. It's great what they've done. They, they did it really as a proof of concept to show it could work. But as a, a realistic bike, it, it doesn't really make sense at that price. But 
Harley Harley Davidson, Livewire are changing everything. What you get with the new Livewire bike that looks absolutely identical to the Harley Davidson Livewire, you get the same 104 horsepower, the same 146 mile claimed range, which in reality in green mode is 90 miles on the motorway. And you probably will get 146 in town, I think, as long as you keep it in green mode. But you get the same horsepower, same range, same pretty much everything. Uh, let's have a look. It will be in non-American markets, probably close to the end of 2022. But this is where things become a bit game-changey. It looks like the price, if you convert it from US dollars to pounds sterling, will be about £16,000 or 14500 after the UK EV grant of one and a half thousand, although I don't like counting that because it's not realistic to keep counting the, the British government's electric vehicle grant where they give you money off if you buy an electric vehicle because that will stop eventually when it suits them. So the real price, very possibly for the live wire, may be about £16,000. That's a gigantic, gigantic saving and that completely transforms the way I would look at the live wire. If the live wire comes to the UK at about 16k, that's a very, very different bike to a close to 30k bike. And that's something that a lot of people would look at much, much closely or much more closely, especially if it comes out at the end of 2022. You never know how much this battery technology may have progressed that by then could they squeeze closer to 200 miles in a range and that's where it becomes very very appealing so i'll keep my eye on that as well this is and this next bit probably a bit more relevant to the uk market see ever since we left the eu ever since the uk left the eu since the 1st of January 2021, we have had to, if we want to drive in, the, in Europe, in the EU, we have to get what's called a green card. Before, every EU member could just happily drive around, work everywhere, do everything, travel everywhere within the EU. No extra paperwork could not be easier. But now that we've left, if you want to drive in the EU, you must have a green card from your insurance provider. It's in theory free. But insurers will charge you a £25 admin fee to get it and it will take up to a month to actually receive it. So it's time and it's hassle and it's money. However, it's being dropped. The UK and the EU have come to an agreement where it looks like by the 1st of August, green cards will be dropped. You will not need them. So it will save a huge amount of hassle and also it will save a lot of the tension that's going on or that may go on in the future with the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland because there are a lot of people who live in one of the countries and drive to another and it's just a huge amount of hassle and apparently it could stoke tension between the two countries if you're constantly having to fill out these forms and ask for green cards just to travel across the border. So it looks like that will be going. And I did a survey, moving on. I did a survey on air versus water cooled motorcycles because I've got at the moment on test the Triumph Street Scrambler and it's water cooled and then I put my Triumph Bonneville next to it, an air cooled bike, and I did a survey on Instagram. 
which is uh, which by which which do you prefer what do you prefer air cooled or water cooled and i was a bit surprised actually I, you never know exactly what it's like do people kind of hark back to the old school simple vibes the character of the air cooled bikes but no water cooled won it 60% of people pr- said that they prefer water-cooled motorcycles that was actually quite a big margin in the end i was surprised about that and i've had some messages this is something where i'm really curious to get your input and if i do get any input or any replies good or bad i will make sure to include them for complete fairness because i was chatting away about triumphs and bmws and i had a couple of bmw owners message me saying be careful with bmws because they're a huge money pit now two of the owners that i spoke to had bmw r90s and they said they're lovely bikes when they're working but they can absolutely drain you of money and i'd be really curious bmw motorcycle owners please do let me know your thoughts on the bikes because i know as is the case with most german vehicles they're they're always over-engineered they're beautifully made but can they sometimes be a bit too over-engineered and does that impact the cost of ownership i'd be so interested to find out so if you send me an email i'll make sure to share these what are your experiences with bmw motorcycles with regards to cost of ownership and also reliability email me at dob.bs at outlook.com dob.bs at outlook.com last week i went with monica to my cousin's wedding and it was an extremely grand affair beautiful wedding about as traditional an english wedding as you can imagine beautiful setting weather just held out lovely old church in a town called winchester which has so much history and we stayed in this beautiful old pub and then we drove down to the church and from the church we then went went to the reception and in reception we were chatting away to the bride's dad and this isn't biking related but it all comes under the same roof because we were chatting to the dad and the car that actually drove the bride and groom away was a beautiful old Citroen from, I think, I think it was from about the 40s, something like that, 40s or 50s, stunning old car. In fact, it was just, it was, they started making, I think, just before World War II, and I think it carried on till a little bit after World War II, so it's around about the 40s. And that's what the bride and groom were, were driven off in, and just behind that was a beautiful 110 Defender had the the winch and everything set up for some proper off-roading now it's a really eclectic pair of cars but it was a pair of cars that was obvious obviously owned by an enthusiast because they're some some very special cars that you really need to be in the know with those types of cars to own so we're chatting away to the father of the, the bride and he said they were both his both of those cars were his the daily car is the defender 110 and the car that actually drove them away was his Citroen. And he was on holiday in France in 1981, driving around on a family holiday and just parked up on the side of the road was this stunning, I wish I could remember the model, but a stunning big black Citroen parked up and it had a for sale sign in it. So he called up the number on the car and said yeah is it still for sale if so i'd like to buy it and he bought it there and then and he drove it back from france back to england and he's kept it ever since 
40 years of ownership. He does all of the work himself. He actually got it mechanically ready for the wedding. So I can imagine hearts were in mouths a bit as the engine was turned on and the bride and groom drove off. But it started first time and I just love stories like that. Whatever it is, if it's a car or a motorbike or whatever, just something with a story that connects you and you just, you never want to get rid of it. It's just such a brilliant talking point. And I was at, I was at the Goodwood Festival of Speed two days ago, went with Monica and we were very kindly invited by Michelin Motorcycles. So they put us up in a hotel very kindly. They gave us these brilliant hill pavilion passes, meaning that all of our food was paid for and we had front row seats to the, the track so we could watch all of the cars and the motorbikes go by. You had non-stop champagne and wine, three meals a day. It was the grandest event I think I've ever been to. It was fantastic. And anyone looking for a really good motoring event, whether it's cars or motorbikes, I really couldn't recommend this more. And they've actually got two. They've got the Goodwood Festival of Speed and they've got Goodwood Revival, which is for classic cars and motorbikes and everyone dresses up like they're from the 30s, 40s and 50s. But this is the Goodwood Festival and Speed where you get all of the big car brands there showcasing their latest models. Loads of stuff. I could go on about it forever, but I did want to bring up one point about a couple of interesting bikes and bike companies that I saw in the stands. One of them is a company called Dot Motorcycles. That's a British company. I think they went bust as a lot of British vehicle companies did in the 60s. But just last year, they're being brought back with Kawasaki 650 engines and they look really cool. About 17 and a half K. So they're on the expensive side. But what you get with that is a very, very special limited run of really focused bikes. They look very impressive. And one of the stars for me and I, I've mentioned this, I think, about three or four episodes ago. Fantic. I was so happy to see Fantic having a stage there. They've got a range of bicycles and motorbikes and also enduro bikes. But the bikes that really catch my eye are the Caballeros. And I had about a 10-minute chat with them. But before I, I go into the chat, I'll just give you an overview. I think it is an Italian and I think it may even be Spanish, Italian or Spanish company. They make brilliant value, great looking retro styled motorcycles. They've just started or not just started, but they do actually bring them over to the UK to sell them in the UK, not through Fantic dealerships, but through kind of third party dealerships. I know they've got a crazy horse, for example, in southeast London. They're about six and a half thousand pounds for the 500cc version and they're scrambler style bikes. They're about 150 kilos. They also make them in 125 and 250s, but they are absolutely superb value. I, I was really, really interested to see what these are like because they look so fun. And actually, I was chatting to an ex, an ex Triumph Street Scrambler owner and he told me that he actually sold his Triumph Street Scrambler to buy a Fantic Caballero. And that, that really did surprise me. To sell, you know, a very, very kind of aspirational Scrambler and sell it for a cheaper, 
a cheaper bike, but he said it's the best decision he's ever made. And he's, he was kind enough to send me a few pics over. And I do understand it. They look absolutely stunning, these bikes. And value for money and smile per pound, per horsepower, I'm not sure if there's anything that that could beat these. I know that the Royal Enfields, they're very good, smile per pound, extremely good value. But I think, and I really do hope, that these Fantics will be a big player in the motorcycle industry because I think they've got everything needed to be an absolute hoot on real roads. About 40 horsepower or so, but I was hugely impressed. And to see them finally in the flesh, the first time I've ever seen them in the flesh, I was absolutely delighted. I cannot wait to hopefully get to try one of those because I think that looks like one of the most fun bikes I will ever have ridden. And I won't go into too much detail because I did a YouTube video of it, but a few days ago I went off-roading on the Street Scrambler and this kind of leads on from that because the Street Scrambler did surprise me and I did check the official Triumph website. It's 223 kilos, dry weight, without any liquids in it. That's stated on the official Triumph website and I took it off-roading and I basically got the most stuck I've ever been and it kind of emphasized in my mind when I was stuck with this bike trying to get it down a hill Weight and tyres are absolutely everything. They're everything for motorbikes going off-roading. You forget about any type of rider modes or anything. If you've got rider modes for these off-roading bikes, all they're there to do is try and disguise that the bike's probably either too heavy or that it doesn't have the right tyres. One other thing that kind of hit home very strongly to me is that horsepower... And I remember this from the Triumph Scrambler 1200 XC. And I, I was told this and reaffirmed this actually when I was talking to the guys at Fantic. Horsepower doesn't matter. If you're off-roading, you don't need more than 20 horsepower. You want the lightest bike you can possibly get and you want off-road focused tyres. So that got me thinking. And that has moved me on now to my bike of the week. And in that vein, after having done a few different now off-riding motorbiking sessions, I thought, okay, let's have a look. What can I find that's a cool-looking light bike? What does it have to be for you to genuinely enjoy off-road biking that I've learnt over my few often-failed off-roading attempts? It must be light. Really, it must be cheap because you need to have a bike that you're not worried about dropping. You need to have a bike that you're not worried about dropping. If you drop it, you can easily pick it up. You can get back on it. You can redline it because for off-roading, riding it to the limit, to the limit of the bike is where the real fun is. You don't want to just be using 10 or 20% of the power of a bike. So I'm looking here at a few enduro style bikes and I'm on Auto Trader because I was curious. I would like a bike that ideally looks cool and fun on the road as well. So I want something with a bit of style. I want something that ideally, I, I don't want to be spending more, more than 3000 on it. Uh, Japanese stuff's always good because it's reliable and rugged. So here we go. I've, I've taken, usually I put bikes that are about 10 years old or newer, but I've taken that out of the equation for this because I'm more focused on a bike that will get me to an off-road track or put onto the back of a trailer and just have a bit of fun off-road. Light-hearted, simple fun, in other words. Here we go. Yamaha, the first one that comes up. 
a Yamaha DT200. Now this is a bike from 1990. Incredibly, it's about 31 years old, but it's 2,800 pounds. It looks brilliant. Classic 1990s Japanese styling in the best possible way. Super high suspension, knobbly tires, 200cc bike with 20,000 miles for 2,800 pounds. And it actually comes from a bike dealership. That's brilliant. Then you've got a Benelli Trails bike 2,900 from 1974. One of the coolest looking bikes I've ever seen. Let me know if Benelli are reliable because I'm not familiar with the brand. And I'll just give you two more just to show you what is on offer. There's a Husqvarna. A Husky is available. Do you know what? This may even be too big for me. This is a 577cc bike. That may even be a bit too powerful for a novice like me. But £2,990. That looks like an absolute weapon off-road. That's actually quite, quite tempting looking at that. Blue seat, yellow front mudguard. That's completely ready to go. Proper knobbly tires on it with an aftermarket exhaust. And I'll give you one more. And I'll go for... i tell you what I'll go for. Ooh, there's a Kawasaki 125cc. Do you know what? Maybe I'd want... I think I'd want a 250cc minimum. This is one... I'm glad this has just come up because these Hondas have a great reputation. Honda CRF. 250L. Remember this if you're keen on looking at some enduro bikes because these have a great reputation. Honda CRF 250L with 23 horsepower, 25,000 miles on the clock. It's a Honda, so it will go on forever. White and red design, gold forks, looks absolutely perfect and it's 3150 pounds that may actually be my pick because it's only five years old it's 3000 pounds you, you you get it down to 2900 properly probably and that may be the perfect bike for me to get more into some off-roading and that's it i'll leave you there thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and i will see you in the next one have a brilliant week all